Today on The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. What is grace and why is it really amazing? God's amazing grace, I believe, is at the very heart of the Christian life. This amazing grace is the most radical, the most beautiful, the most wonderful concept and truth ever imaginable. Welcome to The Verdict, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor John Monroe. The Christian life is not based on our good works or how religious we are. In fact, the Christian life is not based on our efforts at all. We are saved by God's grace through the perfect work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And today on The Verdict, we're learning more about grace and why it's so amazing in our brand new series. So without further delay, here's Pastor John Monroe. One of the great themes of the Holy Scriptures is grace, God's grace. Grace which is always greater than our sin. Last time we began by thinking of Ephesians 2, where Paul writes about grace. He explains why each one of us desperately needs this amazing grace. Paul paints a vivid picture of our desperate need for God's amazing grace. We're spiritually dead. We're spiritually condemned. That is, before Paul magnifies the amazing grace of God, he describes our desperate situation and our utter inability to save ourselves. We are totally dependent on this amazing grace, which comes alone through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's learn more of this amazing grace and why it must be personally received by each one of us. This message is a very important message. So I want all of you to listen very, very carefully because at the end of the message, I'm going to be asking each of you for a personal, yes, a personal response. I've been praying that every single one of us will leave with the assurance that we are truly saved by God's amazing grace. Our passage, and I ask you to turn with me to it, is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, and we're going to read the first 10 verses as Paul expounds something of this grace, which is really amazing. Paul writes, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From the opening verses of this wonderful chapter, it is clear, first of all, that you desperately need God's amazing grace. Now, secondly, 
Paul is going to say that this amazing grace is offered to you through Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 4. But God, isn't this marvelous? Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Do you understand not only God's love, but the depth of this love, this love which is immeasurable, the manner of it, the kind of love in it, it is so great, it's so unbelievable, that in spite of who we are by nature, this amazing God not only loves us a little bit, he loves us so much that he desires that you be part of his eternal family. Here is an astonishing truth, isn't it? That although we are sinful, God loves us. And the great proof of God's love for us is that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save sinners. Yes, this grace is really amazing. And this is the reason why our blessed Savior came into this world. Because we couldn't reach God by ourselves. God, in his love, his great love, this one who is rich in mercy sends Jesus Christ into this world. Emmanuel, God with us. John 3:17. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's grace. That God didn't send Jesus Christ into this world to condemn us and judge us, although we deserve that. He comes in infinite grace, immeasurable grace. He comes to save us. And before we can get right with God, before you can get right with God, the whole problem of our sin, which separates us from God, has to be dealt with. We've broken the law of God. The penalty is death. But on the cross, our Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty which has to be paid because of our sin. When just before our Lord died on the cross, he shouted, it is finished. That means that the penalty which has to be paid because of our sin has been paid in full by another, our substitute, our Lord Jesus Christ. And once something has been paid in full, you never have to pay it again. Occasionally, we should happen more, but occasionally I'll be in a restaurant having a meal. And at the conclusion of the meal, I'll ask the waitress uh, for the check. And uh, she will say words which are music to my ears. Sir, it has already been paid. In fact, sometimes she'll say, and the tip is included. <laughs> That's real grace. For a Scotsman, that's wonderful. <laughs> what has happened? As I've been eating my meal, unbeknownst to me, someone uh, who knows me, as I say, this doesn't happen too often, wish it happened more. <laughs> it's a kind of an obvious way of using this illustration to put the thought in your mind if you ever see me in a restaurant. <laughs> um, but someone who knows me will have called over the waitress and said, see that table? I'm going to pay the bill. I'm going to pay it all. It's paid in full. And so when I say to the waitress, I'm going to pay now, she says, no, sir. It has been paid in 
full. And if it's been paid in full, I don't have to pay it again. That would be insulting. That would be ridiculous. And God's wonderful plan of salvation, this is grace that is really amazing, is that he remains holy and just and still provides a way for you to get right with God. A holy God can't ignore sin. Our Lord Jesus Christ comes and dies on the cross for our sins. Says Peter, for Christ also died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. I can't get to God by myself. But through my Lord Jesus Christ, who pays the price of my sin, I now, all because of him, all because of his grace, I'm right with God. I'm in a right standing with God. And I'm acceptable to God in my beloved Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace is unmerited kindness, something that we don't work for. Unmerited love, which comes to those who are totally undeserving of it. That's grace. And this chasm between us and the Holy God has been perfectly bridged by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of God. Who is Jesus Christ? He's perfect God and perfect man. The one mediator between God and man. The only way who can take you to heaven and home. First then, you desperately need God's amazing grace. Second, amazing grace is offered to you through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, this amazing grace must be personally received by you. I told you this was personal. You must take it personal. Not for someone next to you, not your children, not your husband, not your wife, not your best friend, you. This amazing grace, my dear friend, must be personally received by you. Look at verse 9. Paul brilliantly crystallizes this amazing truth as he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You say, how do I receive this amazing grace? First, admit before God that you need Christ's salvation. Admit that you are a sinner. Admit that it's utterly impossible for you to get to God on your own terms. If you could get right with God by yourself, why would Jesus Christ have come to earth and die on the cross? No, this amazing grace has to be personally received by you. So today, I'm asking you to kneel at the cross of Christ. Why do we have that cross on the ceiling, that symbol a constant reminder of the centrality of the cross, that without the cross of Christ, there is no salvation. And to receive this amazing grace, we must come to the cross, admitting that we're a sinner, that we deserve, that you deserve the judgment of God because of your sin, and that you now desire to turn from your sin. That's repentance. And so trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins. Believe that on the third day as the Son of God, he rose from the dead and is alive. And he will forgive all of your sins. You don't need to tell me what they all are. God knows. You turn from them and embrace the only one who can forgive your sins. 
the one and the only one who paid the price on the cross. And God will give you what you don't deserve. Says Paul, it comes as a gift. Of course it is. Salvation. Absolutely, absolutely free. That's why we call it grace. That's why it's really amazing. All of the work to get you into heaven, to forgive your sins, to transform your life, has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ. The price has been paid by the blood of Jesus on the cross. The way is opened, and the only way is Jesus. Trust him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting Jesus Christ is faith in action. It's not just believing facts. It's acting on what you believe. It's not just believing that. It's believing in. Here is a woman in a burning building. She's five stories up. And the building is ablaze. The elevators don't work. The stairs are on fire. And she looks out the window. And there's the fire truck. And the firemen have put out a huge safety net. And they shout to her, jump! She can't go back into the building. She would burn to death. She can't put out the fire by herself. She looks at the fireman. She trusts the fireman. She looks at the safety net. And she says, I believe that that safety net will support me. But she still has to jump, doesn't she? That's the act of faith. That's the difference in believing that and believing in today. I'm asking you not just to believe the facts about the gospel. You need to believe them. But I'm asking you to believe in Jesus Christ. That is to place your entire spiritual destiny and future in the hands of Jesus Christ. Erwin Lutzer writes, when you come to Christ, you do not come to give, you come to receive. You do not come to try your best, you come to trust. You do not come just to be helped, but to be rescued. You do not come to be made better, although that does happen. You come to be made alive. That's it. Everything done for your salvation. Trying to keep the Ten Commandments won't do it. Coming to church every Sunday, even the best church won't do it. Christ has done it all. That's grace. That's amazing. Grace, says Paul, is a gift of God, not something that you work for. St. Augustine says, God always pours his grace into empty, empty hands. I love that. He pours his grace into empty hands. As the old hymn says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to you for what? For grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's it. That's it. There's some of you here today who have received Christ as Savior. You've experienced His amazing grace in your life, but you've turned from it. You've wandered back into the old way of life, and you've brought pain on yourself and others. Today, it's time also for you to get right with God. It's time for you to be transformed by God's amazing grace. Philip Yancey gives this illustration about amazing grace. A young girl grows up in a cherry orchard just above Traverse City, Michigan. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overact to her nose ring, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times, and she sees inside. I hate you, she screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night, she acts on a plan. She has mentally rehearsed scores of time. She runs away. 
She's visited Detroit only once before on a bus trip with her church youth group to watch the Tigers play. Because newspapers in Traverse City report in lurid detail the gangs, the drugs, and the violence in downtown Detroit, she concludes that it's probably the last place her parents will look for. California, maybe, or Florida, but not Detroit. Her second day there, she meets a man who drives the biggest car she's ever seen. He offers her a ride, buys her lunch, arranges a place for her to stay. He gives her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all of the fun. The good life continues for a month, two years, a year. The man with the big car, she calls him boss, teaches her a few things that men like. Since she's underage, men pay a premium for her. She lives in a penthouse and orders room service whenever she wants. Occasionally, she thinks about the folks back home. But their lives now seem so boring and provincial that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She has a brief scare when she sees her picture painted on the back of a milk carton with a headline, Have you seen this child? But by now she's blonde hair, and with all the makeup and body-piercing jewelry she wears, no one would mistake her for a child. Besides, most of her friends are runaways, and nobody squeals in Detroit. After a year, the first sallow signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it, she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She still turns a couple of tricks a night, but they don't pay much, and all the money goes to support her habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside the big department store. Sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown Detroit can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her cough worsens. One night as she lies awake listening for footsteps, all of a sudden everything about her life looks different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight beneath her and shivers under the newspaper. She's piled atop her coat. Something jolts in her memory, and a single image fills her mind. Of May in Traverse City, when a million cherry trees bloom at once, with her golden retriever dashing through the rows and rows of blossomy trees in chase of a tennis ball. God, why did I leave, she says to herself. Pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home, he's better than I do now. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she wants to go home. Three straight phone calls, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times, but the third time she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. I was wondering about home. I'm catching a bus up your way. It'll get there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus until it hits Canada. It takes about seven hours for a bus to make all the stops between Detroit and Traverse City. And during that time, she realizes the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. She should have given them some time to overcome the shock. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between these worries and the speech she's preparing for her father. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine, Dad. Can you forgive me? She says the words over and over, her throat tightening, even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologized to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Bay City. Tiny snowflakes hit the pavement, rubbed worn by thousands of tires and the asphalt steams. She's forgotten how dark it gets at night out here. A deer darts across the road and the bus swerves. Every so often a billboard, a sign posting the mileage to Traverse City. Oh God. 
When the bus finally rolls into the station as air brakes hissing in protest, the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, 15 minutes, folks, that's all we have here. 15 minutes to decide her life. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice if they're there. She walks into the terminal not knowing what to expect. Not one of the thousand scenes that have played out in her mind prepares her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs bus terminal in Traverse City, Michigan, stands a group of 40 brothers and sisters and great aunts and uncles and cousins and a grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing goofy party hats and blowing noisemakers and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares and through the tears, quivering in her eyes like hot mercury and begins the memorized speech. Dad, I'm sorry, I know. He interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that. No time for apologies. You'll be late for the party. A banquet's waiting for you at home. An illustration of grace, which is really amazing. I tell you, says Jesus, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Will you be that one sinner today that repents? At the beginning of the message, I told you I'd call for a response. I'm now asking for your response you know, I think, you know, that getting right with God isn't just saying a prayer. It's got to be from your heart. But if you're ready to trust Christ, will you come forward to demonstrate that you're serious with God? There are others here this morning. I want you also to come forward. You know Christ. You would say that you've tasted of the grace of God. But like this young girl, you've wondered. Perhaps you've wondered from your husband, your wife. Perhaps your family. Perhaps your parents. More importantly, you've wandered from God. And it's time to stop dabbling at your Christian faith. It's time to allow the power of the Spirit of God to overwhelm you in His amazing grace. It's time to repent. It's time to taste again of God's forgiveness. It's time to get right with God. Will you come and receive this amazing grace, which not only will save your soul, but will transform your life. This is The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe and the end of a lesson titled, Grace is Really Amazing. We'll continue our new series on the subject of God's grace when we come back next time. But in case you missed the beginning of our study, let me direct you to visit our website and you can listen online by going to theverdict.org. And if you've ever had questions about your faith, like what it means to be saved or whether or not you can lose your salvation, you'll want a copy of John's booklet, titled Eternal Security, Finding Certainty in a Chaotic World. Learn from John's personal testimony and his insightful study of Scripture as he discusses the biblical assurances of salvation. Request your free copy of this special resource today by visiting our website at theverdict.org. If you are a regular listener of The Verdict, we want to thank you for joining us. We hope the teaching and resources have blessed you. And we want to invite you to help us reach new listeners during this special time of year by supporting The Verdict with a financial gift. Your generous contributions will help us continue broadcasting the truth of God's Word to your neighbors, your community, and all around the world. To partner with us today, just go to theverdict.org or call us at 
888-888-2231. And then don't forget to subscribe to The Verdict Podcast, featuring John's weekly podcast exclusive called Avizandum. You'll find us on your podcast app, listed as The Verdict with Pastor John Monroe. Now, here's John. Well, what's your verdict? Don't you see how important it is that you receive this amazing grace? Not one of us can save ourselves. We're spiritually dead in our sin, separated from God. But God in great love has made a way of salvation for you through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be a good person. You may do good things. You may be very sincere, but you can't save yourself. You must receive this amazing grace. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Thanks for joining us today on The Verdict. I'm Michelle Davies. Today's program with Pastor John Monroe was produced and sponsored by Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina.